This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking, no rules, I guess. This is Encounter 505, Esotericon Saucer Interlude. Okay, so we're taking our break in our 90s series for an experiment. It's not so much breaking a rule as it is expanding our scope. Recently, I was at Esotericon, a paranormal conference staged by writer and filmmaker Paul Kimball with Winterlight Productions, and it took place in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I was able to grab some of my fellow speakers and ask them to tell us about their favorite flying saucer story. So let's go. We'll start with Ryan Sprague. Ryan's the author of Somewhere in the Skies and hosts a podcast of the same name. His talk was about the effect of extraterrestrial encounters on experiencers. Here's Ryan. So my favorite case um, actually did not happen in the United States for once. Um, This was in 1976. This was in Tehran, Iran, when... um, few objects were witnessed. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. A few objects were witnessed by civilians on the ground. They were reported to the uh, local airport and to the Air Force as well, the Iranian Air Force. Uh, Parviz Jafari went up, started um, to look into what was going on up there. This was after a first attempt where a pilot said he went up, tried to intercept the object, all his equipment went down, uh, scared him. He came back. Parviz went up there as the... Um, you know, the general of the base at the time. And he had the same experience. When he got close to this object, which was massive, I mean, we're talking like jumbo jet-sized, his, you know, radar went down, communications with the base went down, and uh, he just distinctly remembers trying to circle the object and uh, trying to lock on it. He couldn't. Uh, Finally, the object separated into two objects. One went down, one went up, and supposedly it something crashed. Uh, they sent a few more jets up there to try to find the thing. They couldn't find anything. The next day, they go down to look on the ground. Uh, locals said they heard a loud crash, but nothing was ever found. Uh, what I found really interesting about this case, though, was that the U.S. Air Force, uh, the DOD, also got involved. Um, I'm guessing because our planes were being leased, the Iranian Air Force. This very well could be the reason for that. Uh, could be an insurance thing. <laughs> but uh, I found that really interesting that there are more documents through the Freedom of Information Act about the Tehran incident in the U.S. than there are in Iran. And that case has always really, really got to me, especially when someone as credible as Parviz, who we recently lost, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that he was involved and to this day believes that whatever was up there was not Iran's, was not the U.S., and maybe not from here. You can find Ryan at somewhereintheskies.com. Next, we have Micah Hanks. Micah is a writer, podcaster, and researcher from North Carolina whose books include Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule, Ghost Rockets, and The UFO Singularity. He also hosts the Graylian Report and Middle Earth Podcasts. His talk discussed the nature of mystical states, ancient magic, and the centrality of the human mind to all of these experiences. Here's Micah. Where do you begin? And by the way, I just got to say, it's really great to finally meet you in Absolutely. person, Aaron. Absolutely. You know, had you on the podcast in the yep. past, and God, 
lots of fun this weekend. Yeah. As far as a favorite flying saucer story, though, uh, you know, they're the well-known ones, and then there are those that uh, come to light only through personal correspondence, and that's, you know, the one I'll tell you about today. Uh, many moons ago, in fact, when I was beginning the Grayling Report podcast, mm-hmm. within that first year, a fellow from right in my home state of North Carolina, uh, he reached out to me. His name was Mike Reese, and Mike uh, talked about this personal experience that he'd had. In fact, I think our mutual friend uh, Ryan Sprague probably is aware of the story that Mike yeah, told. Yeah, I think he told this on my show. Yeah, and uh, Mike, uh, he had been in his early 20s and at the time living uh, in Georgia and working for the Division of uh, Transportation down there. And over the probably Thanksgiving holiday or thereabouts, he was coming home late one night with his wife at the time, his sister in the back seat, and I think some of the, uh, the children as well, probably his sister's children. And he said it would have been about 1 o'clock in November, so it was cool outside, and there was sort of a mist rising off of the road in the distance. Uh, he first noticed a bright white light. And he said, you know how when you see a helicopter and it moves, in a, I mean, you know, again, in a very linear kind of way, it follows a distinctive mm-hmm. path. He said something about the behavior of this light did not look right. It was bright white, but he said it, something about it didn't look like a typical aircraft. Now, he'd had a father that was kind of interested in you know, yoga and mysticism and things like that. He read Fate magazine for years. Oh, yeah. And so Mike had been exposed to a lot of these kinds of, you know, literature uh, pertaining to saucers and, and the uh, the like. Uh, and so he'd always had, had an interest in that. And when he say, sees this light and realizes this thing's not behaving like a typical aircraft, you know, he was fixed, you know, almost not just fixed on it, but fixated and missed his turn. He was going to take the Bill Gardner Highway and actually head over onto, I think, I-75 and then go back north to Atlanta where they mm-hmm. lived. And he missed his turn off, and his wife was very upset about this and said, Mike, what are you doing? Where are you going? And he said, I, I've got a weird feeling. I just want to see this light. Well, it's late. Everybody wants to get home. And she's asking, why in the world do you want to go see what this light is? <laughs> and he keeps go- going on up the road, and there's a row of pine trees that separates uh, his line of sight from the road and in the distance on the left ahead, a power substation. But he could see the light coming, beaming through the trees, and he got very excited. He said there was an, just a, you know, an uncanny... Um, you know, not just, I think, a sense of anticipation, but of wonder that set in as he is mm-hmm. approaching whatever awaits on the other side of these trees. And he says, we get up there, and he said, I immediately spun into the gravel and pulled off the side of the road, leapt out of the car, and began waving my arms because hovering maybe 100 yards over this power substation, he said, was a perfect, what appeared to be a, a disc-shaped craft with a sort of a metallic sheen on it. And he said that in a sequence going around the exterior of the craft, around its diameter, there had been uh, a sequence of lights, red, green, blue, red, green, blue. And he said, I've got to remember this. And Mike had the presence of mind to try and understand, you know, I'm never going to probably see something like this Mm -hmm. ever again. I need to remember every detail that I can. Meanwhile, he said, I was convinced somebody had to have been on board that thing. Who was on this craft? And so he was literally, he said, so excited he was waving his arms at it. Well, his wife and his sister in the car were very frightened. They were very disturbed by Mike jumping out of the car. They didn't know what this aircraft was. They were afraid for him. They were just afraid in general. Now, keep in mind, this was 1973, which was a pivotal year mm-hmm. in you know experiences of this kind. Pascagoula, Mississippi, yep. of course, had occurred not too far away and right around that same time of year in that same uh, year. So it was kind of a big year for flying saucer sightings, but they watched this object for a number of minutes. And then Mike said it very slowly began to just kind of drift off and head off over the interstate. In fact, uh, I think that there had been reports made to the local news station where others driving that night may have seen this thing. There had certainly been sightings in the area. Well, Mike was so excited and at that point he thought, you know, this is a tangible object, whatever this mm-hmm. is. And, you know, we can, I mean, you can learn something from what we observed about this. And he went to work the next day and he had a friend who 
often, you know, from their cubicles across from each other, they'd talk about astronomy and things like that. And he brought it up to his friend. And he said his friend gave him that side-eyed glance. <laughs> and that friend never talked to him seriously again. Wow. He was completely, I mean, just, he was, he might as well have been uh, a leper. You know, he may have, he's, he may as well have just been crazy. And Mike said, after that experience, I learned never to talk about it. And he didn't. He talked to no one about that experience until he heard my show years ago. And he said, you know, I felt like maybe you would understand. And so I went and I met Mike. We retraced his steps. We drove all the way down to Atlanta and further south to Locust Grove, where it happened in 1973. We drove up the Bill Gardner Parkway and along the little road and went right back to that power substation for the first time in decades wow. since he'd been there. And we stood there, and I took a photo of Mike standing in front of it. It's always stuck with me, I think, probably in truth due to my personal relationship with the witness. But, I mean, I, I take Mike to be a... You know, again, a, a, an interesting person, an intelligent guy. Certainly wouldn't question what he says he saw. He said he didn't, nothing about it necessarily was otherworldly. He said, but it was an, uh, a, an aircraft unlike any that I know to exist. I don't know where it came from or who was piloting it, but he said it was the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. You can find Micah at micahhanks.com. That's M-I-C-A-H-H-A-N-K-S dot com. Greg Bishop is a writer, researcher, and radio host. He's from Los Angeles. His show, which um, airs most Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, more or less, usually, is Radio Mysterioso. And he's the author of some great books, including Project Beta, It Defies Language, and um, he's the editor and compiler and author of much of Wake Up Down There, an anthology of writing from uh, the Excluded Middle magazine that he was part of back in the 1990s. He's also a contributor to UFOs, reframing the debate. The remainder of our stories were recorded in the midst of a live broadcast of Greg's Radio Mysterioso, and I want to thank Greg for indulging me. His talk at the conference concerned his work on what he has christened the co-creation hypothesis as a way to understand paranormal events. Here's Greg. Uh, the one I wanted to describe was the one that was um, uh, given to me, I guess, uh, shared with me by a MUFON uh, member in Arizona uh, a couple years ago at the UFO Congress. Uh, he said, uh, the host came over and said, not, not Alejandro, but we were at a party, and the hostess came over and said, this guy has the weirdest UFO story. I, I heard you like weird UFO stories. So... I think, it's, I think I've mentioned this on the show, but this is for you, uh, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. The, um, the case was a woman was driving home from her night job as a nurse, I believe, uh, near or on the Navajo Reservation, or at least the Navajo lands. She was driving um, you know, across the desert, the canyon lands, whatever, and these two light orbs, one or two light orbs started following her car, and they hovered alongside the car. She went, they went in front of the car sort of hung around her car and she sped up and they sped up with her and then eventually they, whoop, they went away. Um, so, that, of course, that freaked her out. Uh, she gets home, she pulls up into the driveway and as her, as her headlights go up into the driveway and reveal the garage door, in her driveway is something like a four-foot rabbit. Bigger than, maybe not even four-foot, but bigger than three. I love it. Yeah. But that's not the weird thing. The weird thing is that she said it had plaid-colored fur. <laughs> Uh, I never get to I love so that so much. So she called her father, who lived in that, because she lived with her father in the house, 
Um, she called her father and said, there's a four-foot plaid rabbit sitting in our driveway. What am I supposed to do? And he said, uh, maybe you should get out of the car on the opposite side of the rabbit and then get in the house very quickly. <laughs> so she ran in the house. Um, and she her father knew the MUFON investigator, I guess, or somebody okay. put him in touch. He called up. He talked to this woman within an hour or, or so of this happening to her. He said he asked her what, you know, how fast she was going, what was the color of the orb, all the normal stuff. And, and he said, you know, he, this is the story he told me. He, you know, he told me about the rabbit. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, did you ask more about the rabbit? It's like, no. I mean, what is there to ask? So, and I said, I think that's the most important part of the story. He looked like, you know, like was insane. Um, then the next thing he said was, and then I asked her the normal questions, like, have you had any, you know, health problems since then? You know, something, have you had migraines or a headache? And she said, no. And he said, okay, thank you so much. You know, they finished the interview. They hung up. He called her the next day to follow up. And she, he said, so how's it going? He said, she said, funny thing. After we hung up about half hour, hour later, I got the worst headache I ever got in my life. You can find Greg and his show at radiomysterioso.com, R-A-D-I-O-M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O.com. Walter Bosley is a former FBI counterintelligence specialist and Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent. He's an investigator of historical occult mysteries, and he's written books such as The Empire of the Wheel Trilogy, The Secret Missions Series, Latitude 33, Origin, the 19th century emergence of the 20th century breakaway civilization, and a lot of other fun stuff. Walter's talk was about the nature of his investigations into speculative history and the intricacies of how one can effectively integrate one's own strange experiences into investigations. Here's Walter. Well, um, can I go back to the airship era? Oh, yeah. In, uh, I think it was 1897, in which the witnesses um, encountered um, two human individuals who identified themselves as Samuel Tillman and Amos Dolbear, who were actually historical figures at that time, and, um, you know, claimed that their uh, airship, they, they showed the witness the airship and how it worked, and then they said, you know, sometime, you know, We'll fly you down to South America and back in one day. And I think they asked for a bucket of water or something like that. And um, then they went off. Walter can be found at empireofthewheel.blogspot.com. Finally, Tim Banal was the creator and longtime host of Banal of America Audio, a podcast on which he spoke to every significant figure in the paranormal world. Tim spoke about the reemergence of belief in a flat earth. Here's Tim.
October of 1973 in uh, in Pennsylvania. We'll see if he can pick up what case this is. October of 1973 in Pennsylvania, there's a couple of farmers, um, and they see a red light, and it's hovering over the sky. And it's, I'm going to do a little Micah Hanks. It's, it's in the sky, and it lands in a cow pasture. So they're watching this red light land in a cow pasture down below them. And so they're watching it, and they start walking down. And they walk down to look uh, at what this red light is. And as they get closer, it turns into like a glowing white dome. Mm -hmm. Okay? And they're obviously freaked out and mystified by this UFO sighting. But then things take a turn for the really strange, because they look... As there's the, the glowing dome is illuminating the entire cow pasture, and they all of a sudden, out of the corner of their eye, they spot two Bigfoot creeping along a barbed wire fence. Okay, That's awesome. so the hunters this is all courtesy of Stan Gordon, who was on the scene yeah. investigating the case within, within, about, uh, within about hours. Yeah. Okay, this is what makes it actually incredibly credible, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. this is if they were going to hoax a story like this. The, the timing of it all does not make any sense uh, in that scenario. So they're watching this. So the one of the hunters, he fires uh, a tracer round at the Bigfoot. And the Bigfoot reaches up to grab the tracer round as it goes past him. Okay? And they're like, what was that all about? So then they put, they're like, all right, this is getting crazy. There's a UFO over the cow pasture. There's two Bigfoot right within about 75 feet. From the UFO. So he fires up his shotgun and puts a real bullet in. He's like, we're going to end this now here, right now. Shoots the Bigfoot. As soon as it hits the Bigfoot, the UFO disappears. And the light goes away and the Bigfoot are gone subsequently too. And apparently, from what I understand, and I haven't heard it myself, I think Seth Breedlove said that he had heard it. Um, there's audio recording of this farmer who had the experience and he is like going out of his mind of, of like panic and terror and fright after recounting this story. And uh, from what I understand, I think he died shortly thereafter. I think he, I think he went really? down a tailspin. Like he, he went down like a legitimate, like personal, psychological, spiritual tailspin and died within a few years after this event. You can hear every episode of Banal of America audio at banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. And what about my favorite flying saucer story? Well, every week you hear my favorite flying saucer story at the moment I decide to create the episode. So I don't think you need another. However, my talk focused on the changing nature of UFO narratives and focused partially on a story the story, that President Eisenhower met aliens at an airbase in 1954, and I may be working on something more extensive with that story and its development over time, but, but I also may not be. I um, haven't decided yet. In any case, for more info on this, go back and listen to Encounter 301, a good old-fashioned ether frolic. And there you go. Five slices of the saucer life from five guys who have done some of the most mind-bending and imagination-grabbing research, writing, and broadcasting of the 21st century so far. I should mention the other speakers at Esotericon. Paul Kimball and Holly Stevens shared stories from their ghost investigation show Haunted. 
Holly Stevens, by the way, stars in a new film, Aliens with Knives, that is currently appearing at various film festivals. And you can read my review of the film at saucerlife.com. The keynote address was by Stanton T. Friedman, the godfather of Roswell Investigations and author of many, many books. He's on something of a farewell tour as he announced his retirement for later this year, and it was great to finally see Stan speak in person. It was one of the highlights of my personal saucer life. I've got links to everyone's websites in the show notes, and you can explore that stuff as well as the archives at saucerlife.com. Thank you to all of those who spoke for our show, as well as to Paul Kimball and Winterlight Productions for putting on the event. The Saucer Life Encounter 505 was written and produced by me, Aaron Gullius. It also featured, in order of appearance, Ryan Sprague, Micah Hanks, Greg Bishop, Walter Bosley, and Tim Banal. The Saucer Life is a Chizo Media production. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life or email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Saucer Life on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app through the RSS feed on the website. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.